Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Um, I've got a new friend, uh, Josh Smith. Welcome, Josh. Thank you, Dan. I'm excited to be here today. Yes, and you're actually uh, the brother of an old friend, um, Stephen Smith. I've know, known him for many, many years, and then he uh, he left the Metroplex and went up to Little Rock, and he's uh, he's doing great. And uh, he and I did a podcast together a while back, and I just said to him, I said, hey, Stephen, is there anybody else out there just doing some great work that'd be awesome to talk to men? He goes, my brother. <laughs> I, was like, well, well, I just appreciate if you refer to him as a uh, friend of an old brother, because I, I everybody thinks he's younger than me, and it drives me crazy. Seriously, no, yeah, oh, you look, you so look mad. way younger. Now, this well, is he's got audio. great hair. It's <laughs> the hair. Is, he has great hair. And I have <laughs> more kids. And you have more kids. Uh, yes. yes. It, you have more miles than he has. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Oh, man. But uh, but he he was uh, recommending um, a book that you had written. And so I reached mm. out to you and you sent it to me, which was great. I read through it. Um, it's called The Titus Men foundations for godly manhood and i was like well that's a fantastic title uh and book for a podcast that's dealing with training for manhood and so um i read it and i was i was thrilled i just wanted to get your perspective a little bit about um kind of how you got into writing the book sure. uh, and then maybe we can kind of tackle a little bit about uh, what the book is about so yeah. um give us a little background you're you're a pastor right you've been dealing and, and ministering with a lot of men for a lot of years so how did the book come about yeah, it only took me 15 years to write it. So uh, I took my first pastoral position in 2006. I was at a, a great church in Dallas, Texas. In and, Fort uh, Worth, they, actually. What's that? In Fort Worth, actually. Right? Well, I, yeah, I was a little I was a little east of Fort Worth. I was in Irving. But uh, OK, yeah, Fantastic. but not far. Yeah. But Steve and I, my brother and I were there at the same time, similar okay. time. So, yep. um, but I, I inherited a church that still had some charter members, some men that were there from the very beginning that founded the church. And they would stand in the hallway and tell me stories about paying the pastor out of their own pocket because there wasn't oh, enough money wow. in the offering and selling wow. bonds door to door to pay for the building, all this stuff. <laughs> and I just thought I was so impressed with these men. They were yeah. just incredible. And then I thought they were dying. I was doing their funerals and I wasn't seeing other men like them come up. And it really worried me. And I was really concerned with the state of manhood in my previous church and the materials I was looking at tended to be a little surfacey than what I wanted. I was trying to develop really good, solid men. Yes. Uh, I didn't want a guy just to discover manhood. I wanted godly men. So I prayed through it for a while, decided to take the book of Titus. So I did 10 men at a time for 10 weeks through the book of Titus. That's why I called it the Titus 10, not very creative, but I did it. And um, by the time I left that church, I'd taken 120 men through the book of Titus 10 at a time. Wow. Uh, it was that when I looked back on my ministry there, 11 and a half years, it was my, by far what produced the most fruit. I just looked about two weeks ago, Dan, on that, on the website for the church I left five years ago, every elder and every staff member, except one uh, was someone that went through the Titus 10 with me uh, years wow. ago. Yeah. So super so, encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. That, well, that intentional discipleship, right. Of that um, you know, one-on-one -on -one or one-on-ten of training and spending time in God's word is such an important 
uh, aspect. And I think so many of us miss that, right? You're right. a pastor. And so you do discipleship in large group, right? You get, you know, thousands of people who are sitting there listening to you open up the word of God, but there's something different about a small group or even that one-on-one that you can really kind of dig a little bit deeper. So that's a really, you know, fantastic opportunity. Uh, the book of Titus, why? Uh, so, you know, it's interesting. I wonder that sometimes I started just looking for a book that I thought would be helpful. So part of my desire, I wanted to train up like leaders. And so what you have in the context of this little 46 verse book is Paul drops Titus off in Crete. There's a highly dysfunctional church there. Uh, the church is dysfunctional. The leaders are rebellious and ungodly. There's a problem with just the culture. Uh, Titus, has that really funny verse where Paul says, Cretans are evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. So the culture is ungodly. Yep. There's problem with men and women in chapter two. And here's what's interesting. Titus writes this letter to, I mean, Paul writes this letter to Titus and says, Titus, the first thing you have to do to fix all of this is find good men and put them in place. I love it. That's Amen. That, and that, that's amazing to me. And it's interesting too, we can talk about this, but there was tons of family problems, but Paul doesn't tell Titus to fix the family. He tells him to fix the church. Because if you want to fix the family, you got to start by fixing the church, particularly yeah. with first generation Christians who don't have godly parents. Yeah. The answer for that is to fix the church. And so in the book, I write a little bit how I, I, I'm trying to plead with guys to not just try to have a good family, be a good man in the church, serve the church. And if you do that, it's going to dramatically help your family. Um, so I'd reverse things a little bit and talk about the priority of the church. But Titus just, man, has tons of, of foundations for godly manhood in there. Yeah. Now, we always often talk about, right, you get your vertical relationship right, your horizontal relationships will follow. Um, so, you know, if you tell a guy, hey, I've got family problems, it's like, well, you know, the, the problem really is stemming from your relationship with God. Right. Um, where, where do you play that out? Where do you learn about that? Obviously, in the role of the church. And so right. that's that's a great place and a good reminder for guys. Um, you know, this this podcast is, in a sense, right, a Christian podcast, um, but anybody can listen to it. Uh, and so I know there's guys out there who are thinking, hey, I want to be a better man. I want to be mm-hmm. a better husband. I want to be a better father. But, hey, I'm not a Christian. Aren't there some things that I can do? Right. And I always kind of go back. It's like, listen, here's the deal. Putting a Band-Aid on a cancer. Right. Eh, sure. It, it can make it a little bit better. But, you know, until your relationship with God, you know, gets it in, in the, it's a proper position. Right. Then the other relationships can follow. But if you put right. those other relationships ahead of that right? It may get better for a while, right? You may become a more patient person. You may become a more loving person, right? But a year down the road or two years down the road, something's going to happen again. And it's the relationship that you're going to have with God and the community you build of other believers that's going to help you through those difficult times. So I always want to start with that idea of, right, you've got to make sure that your relationship with the Lord is the preeminent relationship that you're working on. Then you can address those other things. So that's, That's that's a great reminder to our guys, just as Paul's writing to Titus saying, hey, start with that, right? Get, well, that's right. Them, well, somebody plugged into the church and get them, get them serving and get them ministering, and then they can get do the other things. Well, I had a guy ask me uh, just recently on another podcast, hey, we can't get men to serve. How do we get men to serve? And I said, well, the problem is you're trying to get men to serve. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to fix a big problem exactly. by begging men to do something. Exactly. So my encouragement would be to you to think about what you want guys to be two years from now and yeah. start investing in them helping them build a foundation of godly manhood. And then out of that, you'll bear the fruit of service. 
So we're so consumed with getting guys to do stuff. And I get that, but I'm just saying, let's do the hard work of, of developing men. Yeah. Uh, and we can talk about that as much as you want to, how you do yeah, that. Yeah. Let's no, but, I mean, but the, yeah. The, the doing always comes out of the being. Right. Right. So if, if, if my relationship with the Lord, right, is my central focus and defines who I am, then he tells me what I should do. Right. Right. Now, if you're just asking me, hey, I need guys to serve. Well, yeah, we can plug in guys, but they're going to go away eventually because eventually who they are and what they think is important is going right. to predominate. Right. And take them and they're going to say, hey, I, you know, I got golf on Saturday or I've got this or I've got that. Exactly. It's like, right. But you got a guy who say, hey, listen, here's what the Lord has done in my life. Mm. He's my number one commitment and priority. Then when the church calls and said, hey, I need guys to serve. You're like, oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Right. Where, right. where can I serve? I mean, they're, they're, in fact, they're calling you saying, where can I serve? You don't have right. to call them. <laughs> they're, no, they're it's looking, true. I think they're looking for opportunities to serve. They are. So let's, let's look a little bit about um, just the foundations for godly manhood. You gave us uh, 10 things um, that, uh, you know, you've taken out of the book of Titus. And I thought they were interesting it's, um, for, for, you know, men to look at developing. Um, you talked about dominion, gospel, identity, um, assignments, we just talked about, right? Assignments, um, authority, character, doctrine, mission, zeal, and investments, right? So you pulled all those things out of there, mined those things out of there. Was there one of them as you were writing it that you thought um, that this is kind of the the central core of what we're talking about, right? Does it? Does, did you put them in a particular order? Like, are you saying, hey, let's start with dominion because it's the first thing I saw as I read through it? Or that's where we have to start as we go through this process. Uh, yes to all of that. So, uh, you know, <laughs> I people have said to me, there's nothing about dominion in the book of Titus. Well, there is because you have this, first of all, this idea of Paul saying to Titus, find good men who go in and they deal with issues and they make things right. They're strong men. But it is going back to Genesis 1 and 2 and trying to see what dominion means. And one of the ways I got this is the structure of the book of Titus, three chapters, um, and most people would say that the chapters are divided up by life in the church. John Stott talks about this life in the church, life in the home, and life in the workplace. Okay. So what I say is there are three primary dom dom domains for every man where he right. must be serving and working and protecting, and that's the church, the home, and the workplace. I add a fourth one because one of the primary themes of the book of Titus is that of self-control uh, and dealing with the flesh. And so I talk about the first primary domain of every man is his own flesh. He's got to take, he's he's gotta take dominion himself. over himself first. That's A number one. Amen. Yep. Right. And you got to so, yeah, yeah. start with yourself before you can go. And that's, you know, that's a really important thing is, is the reminder. And, and from a Christian standpoint, this idea, right, before you begin to export um, what you believe into other places, it has to first primarily work with you. And I, I and I think that's you know the the thing that sometimes we miss from a Christian standpoint, uh, we we may have the truth of the gospel right and you know the way to do life well, but if we can't do it well, it's very difficult for us to go and share that with other people, right? Because mm -hmm. they want to see right. Well, how has it changed your marriage? How has it changed the way that you do your job? How has it changed the way that you drive on the road, right? <laughs> yeah. And if yeah. we don't allow it to change us first then it's very difficult to go and share that say, Hey, do you want to know what God's done in my life is the great way, right? Look at me as an example. And Paul says it often is, Hey, follow me. Cause I'm following Christ. I'm not going to be perfect, but look at the work and the change that God has made in my life. And I think that's a great reminder to us as men. That's where it starts, right? Yeah. That's where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, that's right. And there's even a, a little bit deeper issue in that uh, most men, if they don't know how to control their flesh, they're already defeated. 
they're discouraged. Yep. Uh, they feel useless. Well, they're not going to be good. I mean, I can't tell you how many men I've talked to. They go home every day from work. They're grumpy. They're irritable. They're mm. not helpful. They're unkind to their wife. That often flows out of some defeat in their own life. So they're yeah. they're they're mad at themselves. They're frustrated with their own lack of progress. Maybe it's something at work. And the result of that, that carried over into every area of life. Um, a lot of men are just walking around feeling totally defeated in a thousand different ways. So building that foundation from dominion. So we talk about that. And then there is some um, progression and understand that, that, you know, God's design for us was affected by sin. So I go to the gospel chapter because Titus has two incredible gospel passages. And I say that what God wants to do through the gospel is he wants to begin to rebuild men through the gospel. Yeah. And this is again, where my desire is not to get guys that are doing more at first. I want to get guys who understand who they are and build a foundation. So then go to the gospel. God wants to redefine you and then immediately go to identity. Let's try to build your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Um, so we, it is kind of the, the design and the progress there is intentional on the chapters. Yeah. Now you talked about um, self-control because it is the one thing as, uh, as Paul is writing to Titus, there's six things that old men need to have. One of yep. them is self-discipline, mm-hmm. um, but there's only one thing that young men need to have. And so if you were talking to um, just a young man, right, like we're 18 to 24, um, what does that look like to develop that idea of self-discipline, of self-control? What, what things would you encourage them to do? Yeah, it is so interesting because there's so much instruction for everybody else. And then it says, tell the young men to be self-controlled. And I think I deal with a lot of college students. We have a lot of college students in our church. And yeah. one of the things I th- I'm noticing, I think they believe that once they get married, all the sexual temptation is going to go away. And then every need is going to be met. And I think every other guy's saying that's not true. Um, but it's not just, you know, sexual purity. That's a big one. But yeah. it's controlling how you spend your money controlling your eating, your exercise, like just learning how to control all of your appetites. Yes. And and one of the problems I'm seeing is that parents aren't teaching their kids to control their desires. Yeah. Uh, if you buy your kid everything they want when they want it, or if you let them have unlimited time and video games and whatever, then you're not teaching them the need to say no to a desire. Okay, I want to do this, but I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And uh, I want to spend an hour on this, but my mom's going to give me 10 minutes on this. Like, we've got to help uh, the next generation understand what it's like to say no to desires. Yep. And, and I think Paul knows that if he can get a young man to figure that out, if he can win the battle of controlling his appetites and desires, that's really the number one thing he needs to grow into manhood. Yeah. So it's interesting, as as you're talking, I know there's a a young guy listening saying, oh, okay, I, I get it. This whole Christianity thing is always about no, 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 right? It's the learning how to say no to things. And I think it's an interesting concept because when I talk to young guys, it's the idea of um, this concept of learning how to say no to something that's less than the thing that you want to say yes to, That's right? Exactly right. And I think, I think it's always that concept that we miss that idea, right? Even in terms of sexual purity, right? You mentioned it. It's a big issue, especially yeah. in our culture today, right? But learning how to say no to something um, that may be temporarily, right, you know, pleasurable, um, but something that later is going to be a consequence, right, that you're going, hey, that, you know, I want to have a, a great marriage and a, a wonderful relationship yeah. with my wife. Okay, where you're going to have to say no to these temporarily um, sexual relationships or pornography or other things that are going to take away from the development of that relationship later yeah. that you want. So in a sense, right, we, we kind of have to remind people that, you know, Christianity is not 
no, it's it's yes to the great things that God has designed for you. Right. But if you want to say yes to anything, you have to say no to something else. Yeah. Right. And so just that concept, self-control yeah. isn't just saying no. It's well, if you say yes to the right things, it's easier to say no to the other things because you've already kind of made that self de- you know determination. We talk, right. you know, when I talk to young guys, it's like um, learn what you're going to say yes to before you go into situations, because once emotions um, come into the process, right, logic jumps out the window. <laughs> so right. you kind of have to have those things, you know, laid out before you get yourself into that situation and find yourself in a place where you're like, you know, uh oh, you know, I feel a lot of temptation coming on, oh. or I feel a lot of stress or pressure. It's like, hey, I've already said, I've already had my yes. Right. And my nose and they're laid out. And so I just have to obey. Right. What I told myself at that particular time. What else would you say for young guys in that in developing that practice of self-control? Sure. I mean, going back to what you said, I think you're right. It's the constant Jesus is better theme. Right. So every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something. And what I want to faith is believing that what I say no to. I'm actually making a decision that's better for me. So yes. I tell my kids this all the time. I'm like, every time you make a decision to walk in sin, you're making things worse for you. I think it's yep. David Powelson that talks about sin is self-harm. Like you're yeah. choosing to harm yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've got a Proverbs, uh, I mean, a Psalm 1 type of thing here where if you choose to walk in the right path, you choose to bear fruit. Yep. If you choose to rock in the, walk in the wrong path, you're going to have thorns and a fruitless life. And a hot... So we got to get to this, you know, you're right, get away from this idea that I'm just saying no. Man, I'm saying yes, not only to just God and his will, but what's better for me. Yeah. And that's the thing, like learning how to control your flesh when you're young is going to bear incredible positive fruit when you get older. Because listen, if you're going to be a faithful husband and a father, you've it's all death to self. Yep. Like it's all. So I have this little phrase I use a lot with men and I use it in the book. I tell men, I said, go to work and work hard, go home and work hard and go to bed tired. Like we have rest and we need to have seasons of rest and we need to have seasons of fun. But I just don't like this idea of guys not going home and working. Like I Man, just. I, okay. Can I, can I say, I could make a t-shirt out of that and sell it. Because yeah. that, that that was just a fantastic little gold nugget. Right? That if, if somebody's listening, right, it's like, wait a sec. Did he say, <laughs> go, really, go to yeah. work and work hard. Go home, go and, home work and work hard. hard. Go to bed right? tired. And then go to bed tired. <laughs> so that's why, like, when a lady looks at this book, you know, she's like, yeah. what are you teaching my husband about dominion? And I say, well, what I'm really teaching him on dominion is this. His home is one of his primary domains. Yes. What it means to have dominion is you are working in a way that you're sacrificing yourself so that place is better. So what I tell guys all the time, guys, when you go home, the home should be better when you're home. They Amen. shouldn't be waiting for you to leave because you bring oh. conflict. Oh. The home is better when you're there. The workplace is better when you're there. The church is better when you're there. Like I am trying to lead guys to work as hard as they can to make sure their domains, their home is the best place it can be because you're making it better. Okay, so that's where we have to get rid of. When I talk to young guys, um, and they have this consumer mentality, right? right? When I when I go to church, um, you know, hey, I didn't like the sermon, or I didn't like this, or I didn't like that, and I'm kind of like, whoa, 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 hang on, <laughs> yeah. you're going you're going as a consumer, right? Asking what do I take away? I need you to switch that and say, hey, what am I giving? Right? Where am I pouring in? Where am I investing? Right? How how is that situation made better because of my presence? If you're just a consumer, right, then nobody misses if you're not there. Well, Dan, right. you, you don't, you don't you, show up on Sunday. No big deal. You don't show up in right. the house. No big deal. Because the rest of us are doing all the work. And what you're right. saying is, no, that's just just the opposite. Men, you're the one doing the work. So if you don't show up, it's going to be a worse environment because you're not there. 
Well, and what I'm saying to you is everything you just said is exactly true with the home. Yep. So men want to be consumers at home. And I do understand this idea that, you know, we work hard and we want to come home. We want to rest. I just, what I'm telling guys is this, like, I want to come home and walk into the house ready to go. Like, I want to play with the kids. I want to help as much as I can. Like, I don't know. That was not my, my vision of marriage before I got married was that I was going to come home. I was going to read the paper. My kids were going to massage my feet and bring me a drink. And, you know, I, I don't know if my wife's going to feed me grapes or what, but like, it was something like that. Yeah. And then I just think, man, my job, my job is to make the home the best place it can be. And so I got to yes. engage when I get home, like yeah. go in. And then when the kids are in bed, oh man, like let's rest, let's whatever. But yep. well, I think guys also have that idea. They go home and They've worked hard. That's where they put their effort and then they put no effort at home. Well, if you yeah. put no effort at home, you're going to get the fruit of no effort at home, which is not yeah, going to be. Amen. Well, I, I do love how you said dominion, right, really is defined by service. It is. Right? That, that's that concept that, that scripture gives you. When, when it gives a man that role of the leader, what he's saying is, right, when you have dominion, when you have that authority, when you have that position, right, that then gives you the responsibility to serve and to serve well. And I think so many men miss that concept. It's like, well, I have dominion. I have authority. I'm the leader. That means my job is to tell other people to do, right? right? And I think the concept that you get from scripture is when Jesus came, he didn't tell other people to do. He modeled it for them. He did for them. He sacrificed. And then he looked at everybody else and said, hey, this is how you do it. It's like, oh, okay. So then we follow through on that. So I think it's it's an amazing thing. You start with dominion. But I think you're right. You know, it's it's a concept of you got to understand it's not the world's concept of dominion, right? Where now I lower lord my power over you and get you to do the things that I don't want to do, right? It's just the opposite. It's the oh, is it a dirty job? Does it need to be done? Like, hey, I'm in it, right? You know, get yeah. your hands dirty, get in there, and, and and get going. That's right. Well, walking in dominion is you are the chief worker. Yep, you're the hardest worker. Like that, that's what you're doing. And because you exist, if God has given you a domain, he has given you that domain so that you can make it better. better. I mean, I do this idea of, of you know, it's it's um, it's plowing. So this idea of plowing, what you're doing with plowing, you're doing a lot of really hard, sweaty work that right. won't produce anything for a long time. That's right. And no one even notices the work you're doing. And so that's what dominion is. Dominion is going home and I'm planting seeds and I'm working, I'm cultivating, I'm watering in the hopes that these things will grow and the faith that these yep. things will grow and thrive. Yep. But it's a it's hard work. Yeah, man, yeah. that's so good. That's so good. Well, I, I love it. I love the book. I love um, the mission, right, of you looking at the church. And I, I think one of the things um, noticing, right, like, you know, hey, here's the, here's the old men. Where do we have those? Because, you know, Titus is built on this concept of the old men are training the younger men, right? Mm-hmm. We we need to have those godly old men to turn around to the young men and say, hey, you know, here's how I did life. Here's, you right. know, learn from my uh, mistakes, learn from my victories, right? Uh, train up those young men. I think that's one of the things that we see a lot of young men looking for, right, is, oh, okay, where where are those older men, um, that have done life well. And unfortunately, in our culture today, um, it's still okay for the old men who've done life well, let's say, and been successful uh, to pack up their stuff, move down to Florida you know, and go play golf right for right. the last 15, 20 years of their life. And I'm just yeah. like, I don't understand that mentality. Um, I think that's the time, right? Those, you know, when you get the gray hairs, well, you won't, but when you mm-hmm. get the gray hairs, um, you know, and, and, you know, God talks about that, that crown that you get, right, right, of wisdom, that that's the time to begin to pour into those young guys. That's so right. I can understand that frustration of that, you know, 18 to 20 year old, four year old guy 
saying, hey, you know, Josh, I hear what you're talking about. I'd love to see it played out, right, in some of the older guys. So instead of retreating from it, actually investing in. So what would you say to the old guys then? Well, two things I'm seeing, and this is in a church that's very multi-generational. So a lot of older generation and a ton of college students. The thing, two things I'm seeing, college students, young guys are desperate for older men in their lives because most of them didn't have a good one at home. All right. They're desperate. And then I've got a generation of older men who don't think they have anything to offer and don't Uh, know how to offer it. Yep. That's a big deal. So the reason I wrote this book the way I did is my desire for this book was that it be studied in the context of a multi-generational group. So a younger guy, and I, I always put the impetus on a younger guy. It's harder for an older guy to say, I'd like to invest in you. It's easier for a younger guy to say, would you walk through this book with me? Can we Love do it. this book together? Or, Love it. Yes. or an older guy just to say, hey, I'm going to read through this book. Would you meet with me once a week for 10 years, for 10 weeks? And let's just, let's talk. Let's just read yep. a chapter and discuss it. So yep. this book was very much written with multi-generational conversations in mind. And it just gives you a little framework to say, let's meet together and um, guys just invite, you know, older guys, what I would say is take the initiative if you can find some younger guys that might want to meet. But I would really say younger guys, you pursue an older man in the church that you want to spend some time with, yeah. ask him to walk through this book with you and just have conversation. Um, most almost every older man has something to offer a younger generation. So and a man who's walked with the Lord has a lot to offer. Amen. So I really want to cultivate Amen. those relationships. And there's a lot in the book about how to cultivate those multi-generational relationships. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so here's what we're looking at. As a young guy, grab the book, find an older man, right, who's walking with the Lord in your church um, and say, hey, will you walk through this book with me? Um, Older guys say yes. (laughs) Yes. And then invest the time, uh, take the time, right, to to take what God has poured into you, the life lessons, the wisdom that you've learned, Right. Um, and not just your wisdom, but godly wisdom. Right. And there's a difference between those two. Right. Uh, and, and pour it into that next generation. Yeah. So yeah. Or, you know, the way I the way you could also do it is I, I got the book. I'm going to initiate. I'm going to invite six guys together and I'm going to pick three young guys, three older guys. The way I okay. teach it now, because my church is bigger, I'm teaching 150 guys right now through Titus 10 uh, wow. on Thursday mornings for 11 weeks. But everybody's at a small table, a table of six. So yeah. one table later, you know, and those are almost all multi-generational groups. And so the real ministry is happening at the table. They have yeah. tons of time afterwards and before I teach for 25 minutes, all the rest is discussion and they're building good relationships. So yeah. anyway, somebody can initiate those kind of relationships. It's going to bear fruit. I love it. I love it. Well, Josh, I spent a lot of time with young guys um, and I a hundred percent agree with you that those young guys are desperate uh, and in need of some older men to walk alongside uh, them and to point them to God's word and the wisdom that he provides. Uh, and if your book is a tool and an instrument that they can use to do it, I say that's fantastic. So I'm awesome. I'm thrilled to have you on here. I'm thrilled that you actually, um, after 15 years um, of doing it, you actually wrote the book so that other guys can do it as well and kind of learn uh, from your journey. So thanks for doing it. Thanks for keeping on doing it. Thanks for writing the book. And uh, thanks for coming on and challenging, equipping uh, some of the guys to do it as well. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. And I'm at Prince Avenue Baptist in Athens, Georgia area. If any guys, pastors, anybody wants to reach out, they can get me on my website. I'd love to talk to guys about how to start the ministry. I'll put those in the show notes for them and everything. So that's awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Very good. Josh, appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. 
That's training4manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man.